it's great to see you back from your trips and your vacations. I hope you're refreshed and ready to go to another week of work. But we don't have to get there yet, do we? Okay, think for just a minute. I need you to see if you can use your brain power and think about the contest that occurs on July 4th in New York. What contest happens on July 4th? And it happens every year. Happens in New York. I'll give you a hint. It's on Coney Island. It's hot dog what? The hot dog eating contest. Have you ever seen these guys eat? Okay, I, I promise myself I'm not going to watch it, but every year on July 4th, I find myself in front of the TV, ESPN is on, and they're talking about a hot dog eating contest. It's just incredible. Now, I like Nathan's hot dogs, and you give me 10 minutes to eat hot dogs, I'll eat a couple, two, three, something like that. These guys will put down, and girls, will put down not only the hot dog, but they'll put down the bun, and they'll do around 50 of them plus in 10 minutes. Can you imagine that? Regular size hot dogs and buns. Now, to make it a little more disgusting, they dip the bread in water. Oh yeah, soggy bread. Anybody like that? Now they start shoving it in their mouth. And before long, it's called chipmunking. They call these guys athletes too. Now, I've never, I, it's hard for me to cross that line and call them athletes, but they call them athletes. And it, they do, it's a, a technique, it's called chipmunking, where they shove it in the mouth and they put it on the sides. And so now their mouths are bulging out. It's just so incredibly disgusting. You just can't turn the TV off. It's just gross. And you just sit there and you watch and you, it's just awesome. Boom, and they start spewing everywhere. And that's the best part. You can rewind. Oh yeah, did you see that? Girls, come here, look at this. And you rewind just a minute. And oh, that's just incredible. Now, you got a hint? We're talking about your appetite today. Matthew chapter five, we're going back to the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter five, and we're talking about the new attitude. Now, just a reminder, if you haven't been here during the time that we, we talked, we talked about how that... Jesus' message here, the Sermon on the Mount, is not designed to give you a new set of rules to put on. It's not helping you change your behavior. It's helping you change something more. Now, we talked about the packaging, and anytime you go to the grocery store and you look at the aisles, they, they want to advertise, now it's new, now it's fresh, now something's better, bigger, better. Now, this is oatmeal. I love oatmeal. I used to always do the oatmeal out of the big can, you pop the lid and then you just pour in some. And you obviously could add your own maple and brown sugar. You could add your own cinnamon, spice, and apples. But now it comes in nice little packages. It's new and improved. Same old oatmeal, but it's just packaged a little bit different way, right? Here's what I want to make sure you remember. It's important that you do not think that the Sermon on the Mount is designed for you to do more religious actions. Did you catch that? Jesus is not about you doing more religious actions and changing your, your outward packaging, your outward behavior. What he's designed this message for and what he's asking for you and for me is this, is that we would change the very core heart attitudes that we have, that we are radically different inside. Yes, it does impact the outward, but if we're just changing the outward, that's called religion. And we're not after religion. We're after something so much more. We're after truly interacting with the God of the universe. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, you want to be 
ushered into my kingdom. You want to follow me the way you're designed to follow. It's not an outward repackaging, but it's an inward heart attitude that he's going after. So Matthew chapter five, you have your Bibles. Would you please stand with me as we begin to read? Matthew chapter five. Here's what we have. Matthew chapter five, verse one, it says, seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And when Jesus had sat down, his disciples came. He opened his mouth and he began to teach them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. The first three, the last few weeks where we've talked have been very brutal, hard. Poor in spirit means that we are to die to ourselves, that we begin to realize that we are not able to please God in and of ourselves. We die to ourselves. That's hard to do. When you die to yourself, it says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who mourn or begin to truly see sin as what it is, an offense to a holy and righteous God. And they become sick over it. And it bothers them now to sin. And they ask for forgiveness. And they are comforted. Number five, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We talked about meekness. And that we are to be humble, knowing who God is, what God has done, that we actually put our power, our authority under God's authority and his power. And we let him be the one in control, power under control. Verse six, this is where we're at today. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to worship you through song, through giving of our gifts. And God, now I'm asking for your Holy Spirit to fill this place. We need to hear from you. God, I pray that you'd give us open ears, ready hearts, so that we hear exactly what you ask us to. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. What is your greatest passion in life? Your greatest heart's desire, your soul craving, what is it? Can you identify it? Do you know what it is? Your greatest passion in life. What we find in scriptures is that there's at least four heart passions, soul cravings, that each one of us deal with and each one of us battle back and forth. Yes, one is the heart passion to hunger and thirst after God. There's three others, though, that I want to hit and I want to talk about today. And I want to show you and I want to maybe even depict for you in a way in which you can maybe catch it and see it. I'm going to use kings out of the Bible. And I want to show you how they ruled and how they lived and how they lived their lives so that you can see these heart passions played out in their lives. And then hopefully maybe what that will do for you is help you see your heart passion in your own life. The pride of life, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes are the other soul cravings. 
We find that in the New Testament. And then the last one is that we just talked about, to hunger and thirst after God. So let me talk through just real quickly. Isaiah chapter 14. I'm gonna put the verse up here on, on, the, on the screen in just a minute. The first driving heart passion is the pride of life. It's domination, it's power, it's control, egoism. Isaiah chapter 14. There are two views from this passage. Some would see it as truly just the king of Babylon. Others would see that this passage speaks of the king of Babylon, but it has a, a higher meaning, one that refers to Satan and his fall. Um, I would probably lean towards that it's just talking about the king himself, but uh, we don't need to split the church over that. So if you want to talk to me about it, I'd love to talk to you about it, and we can talk about that later and argue back and forth and have fun with that. Either way you look at it, I want you to see what happens here. Now, Isaiah chapter 14, you go down to, to verse 12 and 14. Here's what it says. How you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. How you were cut down to the ground, you who were laid the nations low. Now watch. Here's what he says. Whether it's Satan or whether it's the king of, of Babylon, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mountain of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. I will. Do you see it over and over again? Power. Control. I will do this. I will accomplish. I will conquer. I will go far and above. That's the pride of life. We battle this back and forth. It's pictured in, um, have you ever seen Gone with the Wind? Scarlett O'Hare. I will. And she holds up her fist with the dirt. Yes. I will conquer. I will not be defeated. It's pictured for us in how we live our lives. I've got to conquer. I've got to be the best. I've got to get the next best deal. I've got to be the best at whatever. And you start laying it out and I've got to be the best. It rises up in us even when our kids begin to play sports. I coach um, two soccer teams um, on Upward Soccer tomorrow night. And it's a lot of fun to be out there trying to kick a ball back and forth and just learning back. And, the kids are they're stepping on the balls or falling all over themselves. It's just a blast to watch. And then you watch the parents. Aha, that gets a little fun. The pride, doesn't it? Are you, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? I need my kid to be the best. I need them to be better than everybody else. And there's this pride that rises up in us. I will conquer, I will beat, I will do whatever it takes to make sure that my child, I, I, I are you following? Pride of life, it rises up in us. A heart passion the soul craving to be the best no matter what else happens, no matter who I have to run over, no matter what it costs myself, my family, I will rise above. Let me show you another king. Turn over to Daniel, Daniel chapter four. Daniel, this king that we're looking at is Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is a, a king that was the king of Babylon, and God raises him up. God raises him up to an incredible power, military power and strength, great wealth. And the Bible even talks to us and tells us how that Nebuchadnezzar is not a believer, 
But God raises him up and says, I want you to take, and he conquers the surrounding areas and surrounding nations. And then Nebuchadnezzar goes across the desert to conquer Israel and Judah. And he begins to bring back captives. And Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they come across and King Nebuchadnezzar is there. And as he begins to build his, his palace and build his, his great wealth, what we find is now it's the lust of the eyes. This is about possessions and materialism. It's about what I can gain for myself. It's about the praise of people where other people worship. If you remember, he builds an incredible idol. Do you remember this? It's a big, enormous idol. And everybody, when the music plays, everybody has to bow down and worship. And then Nebuchadnezzar receives a warning. Hey, Nebi, Kadnezzar, God is going to bring you down if, unless you repent. He hears the words. And then let me show you this. After 12 months of thinking about how God is going to bring him down, here's what he says. He's walking around the roof of his royal palace. He's walking around, and it's wide enough to not only just walk, but there's horses can go across the top. It's an enormous palace, and he's walking around, looking all across the land of Babylon and everything that he's built. And in verse 30, it says this, And the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon, which I have built with my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of whose majesty? My majesty, my power, this is what I have gained, this is what I have gotten. And as soon as the words came out, the next verse says that God brings him down and he becomes as if he's a wild animal. Do you remember? And he lives for the next seven years out in the fields with long claws. His hair becomes matted and he lives out. And after seven years of being mentally completely out of his mind, God raises him back up. And Nebuchadnezzar says, surely God is God. Here's where it hits us. Your greatest soul craving could fall into the lust of the eyes. What you see, I must get. I need the next great thing. I need the next biggest thing. I've got to get more possessions for myself. I need people to praise me and tell me how good I am. And if people aren't praising me, then I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to do anything for others. I need people to tell me how good I am. And it's praise and you're receiving praise and you want praise to come towards you. And it's about all the materialism, all the material possessions that you can get. It's a soul craving, and many will give their life to pursuing after material things and praise from other people. Let me give you one more. Here's the next one. Solomon in Ecclesiastes. Solomon is known to be the wisest king who ever lived. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. If you want to look at what he does, this is now the lust of the, the flesh. And what you find is this. It's, it's about body pleasure. It's about what kind of rush can I get? What's the next thrill that I can have? And Solomon begins in, in Ecclesiastes 2, and he begins to lay it out. You see, God gave him incredible wisdom. 
And in his wisdom, he begins to be kind of tormented, trying to find satisfaction in life. And he uses his wisdom to begin to try to find satisfaction in knowing things. So he knows and learns as much as he can. That fails, so then he moves to the next thing. He now begins to have incredible gardens. And he has all these gardens built with all the incredibly intense, beautiful aromas of what you would walk through in a garden. He built pools of water, cool wash, rushing water that would come through. And he's is one of the seven wonders of the world as people talk about what an incredible imagination that Solomon had. And he built these pools with the water falling. And so you could sit out there and you could smell all the beautiful aromas. You'd hear the rushing water over all the, the bricks and the, it's just an incredible environment. That didn't satisfy. So he begins to try intoxicating drink. He says, I tried it all. I tried all the intoxicating drink that I could find, whether it was wine, alcohol, anything. I tried, I gave myself over to it and it didn't satisfy. So I moved to the next thing and trying to find bodily pleasure. So he says, okay, I got as many male servants as I could. I got as many female servants that I could. That didn't satisfy. I got as many great singers to come into my, into my courts and they sang beautiful songs. And I had all the great entertainment of the world come to me, but yet it didn't satisfy. So I got as many concubines that I could and slept with as many women as I could. And it still didn't satisfy. He did everything to find bodily pleasure and look what he says in Ecclesiastes 2. You ready? One thing, uh, and it, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my whole heart from no pleasure. My heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and all the toil and all the hard work that I expended doing it. And behold, all was what? Vanity as if I was striving or chasing after the wind. It was worthless. The first three, pride of life, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. If your soul is going after and you're doing everything in your power, here's the bottom line. It will not satisfy. There's only one thing that the word of God tells us will satisfy. That's hungering and thirsting after God. David, Psalms 27. David is a king and a man who's, who's known to be a man after God's own heart, right? God said, you're a man after my own heart. And it's one of the reasons is not because he had no failures. David had incredible failures. Major mess-ups, major screw-ups. But what David does is that he falls back on his face before God and he says, God, I am sorry. Please forgive me. And in Psalm 27, here's what you find as his desire. Psalm 27, he says this. One thing I have asked of the Lord. This is what I'm gonna seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Why did he want to be in the house of God? Why did he want to be in the temple? Because in the Old Testament, that is where the presence of God resided. 
And he said, God, there's nothing else that I could even ask of you. This is David. This is a man who's worth millions and millions of dollars in our currency. And he says, God, there's nothing else that I could ever strive for. There's nothing else that I want more than just knowing that I'm in your presence, God. That I'm with you and that you talk to me and I get to talk to you and that we interact. I just want to be in your presence. Hungering and thirsting after God. Have you ever been hungry? I'm talking really hungry. My kids say they're starving all the time, but I, I know that's not true. I fed them, you know, 30 minutes ago. But hungry, when you get hungry, you're at work. It's in the afternoon. You really kind of skipped lunch. And it's two o'clock and the stomach just starts growling. And now you're having meetings and your stomach's growling. You're saying, excuse me, you've been there? Oh, excuse me. No, it's just getting louder and louder. And before long, you're, you're, you're kind of starting to cramp up a little bit. And now the only thing you could think of is how hungry you are. You're just hungry, really hungry. But it's still not as intense as someone starving, right? It's not as intense. To be starving, your body begins to shrink, your body becomes weak. And we saw some kids in the Philippines who were hungry, who were lacking. But the ones who were starving... They didn't care that you brought a ball. They didn't want to talk. They didn't want to play. They, didn't, they sat in the corner and they were on the side and they did not want to play because they were starving. There's a different intensity. One of the reasons we do, the, we're helping support the feeding centers is that before you can ever talk to them about the gospel, their mind's not on the gospel at all. Their mind's on their belly and on their food and, and wanting something to eat. And so the question begs is, how hungry are you for God? Are you just kind of hungry? You get a taste of God and it's nice because you come in during the week, you come on a Sunday and you're just, hey man, that was a great taste. But everything else, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, it tastes so much better because it satisfies quickly, but then it doesn't last. How hungry are you? To be really hungry. John Darby said it this way. He's talking about the difference between hungry and actually being at the point of starving for God. He said it like this. The prodigal son, when he was hungry, he ran away from home. The prodigal son, when he was hungry, he had nothing else left. He had nothing to to fall back on. He had no food. When he was hungry, where did he go? to the pigs to find satisfaction. But when he was starving, he went to the father. My friend, the Beatitudes are all about being happy, being blessed, being satisfied. And the Bible tells us here, blessed, happy is the man, happy is the woman who hungers and thirsts, that their soul desire, their soul craving is the presence of God, to be in his presence. The Bible tells us that you will find what? You will be filled. You'll be satisfied. See, Matthew 6, Jesus expounds and he says, you seek after God and his righteousness 
And all the things that you need will be what? Added unto you. We've got it backwards. We seek after all the things, entertainment, pleasure. We seek after power, control. And our heart's cravings, we go after security. We go after the applause of people. And what Jesus is saying is, all you need to do is back up and just get really hungry for God. And once you get a taste, when you really are thirsty, like the deer that pants for the water, who's being chased by the hunters and is coming up and finally finds this cool drink water, this stream that's flowing, and you get a taste of how good God is, my friend, material things won't satisfy anymore. Power and control won't satisfy anymore. Entertainment of this world will not satisfy anymore. Here's a hard-hitting truth. When you become a Christ follower, you become a new creature, right? If you become a new creature, now you have a new appetite, something else that you're hungering for. What is hard to take is that in many churches, there are people who come day and week after week and they just taste, but they never hunger. They never crave God's word. And what that speaks to you and speaks to me about is this, that my friend, you probably need to check your salvation. If you are not convicted by sin and you do not hunger for the things of God, then you need to check your salvation. Because the bottom line is this, is that you and I, if we're new creatures, we can't help but desire to want to know more of God. Did you, did you follow that? I believe there are many people who come in and who have gone through Sunday school, who have grown up in church, who all they have done is they have taken and repackage themselves in religion and religion and religion over and over and over again. But they have never tasted. So which they've never hungered for and they don't thirst after the things of God because they've just been playing with religion. So here's what I would ask. If you're not convicted by sin, it doesn't bother you. You don't have a desire to actually get into God's word. You don't have a desire to actually go after him. Would you do yourself a favor and check up on your salvation? Because there's a great chance that you've never crossed the line where you've repented of your sins, trusted Jesus Christ on the cross, and asked him to be the Lord, the leader of your life. For those of us who say, yes, Heath, I've done this. Can I, just, can I just push just a little bit? Let's start hungering after him so that the things of this world do not have the same pull on our lives. 
Let's quit trying to repackage the outward by saying, hey, look, I did this well. I did this for God. Hey, I serve. Let's just stop pretending. Let's get rid of all that packaging and let's just go after God with all the passion of our hearts. What do you say? Let's do it. Let's see what would happen if we as a church, as we as a people, would just become so passionate about knowing God and knowing him and being in his presence. Let's see what would happen. Because I have a feeling that we would become irresistible to those around us. Because now they would see that you're not satisfied with the same things that they're not satisfied with. But now they'd say, wait a minute, you're satisfied. How do you go through this world and you're not satisfied with everything else? How? Why? Let me tell you. The things of this world pass away. But it's my Jesus and his grace and his goodness that I get to live in. And it has radically rocked my world. I'm gonna ask the musicians to come up and play. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Heavenly Father, this is your time. There are some in here who are right now wrestling with their salvation, wondering if they've actually ever been saved or not. And God, I pray that right now your spirit would move in Show them their need. I pray that they would repent, ask for forgiveness. They would trust Jesus and the work that he did on the cross. And they would ask you to be the leader of their life. I pray that they would do that and get it right today. Father, for those of us who have done this, God, I'm sorry. I start with me first. I am sorry that I let the things of this world become my focus more than you. I desire that you are first in my life. God, I pray for each one of us as a church. God, would you help us to become passionate, sold out, radically willing to be in your presence and to follow you. I pray our soul craving would be you and we'd find our satisfaction in you alone. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we stand, this is our time to interact with God. I don't know what you need to do, but this is your moment, this is your time. It's between you and God. If you would like to pray by yourself, down here at the front, you can do that. Some would like to pray with others. We have men and women who will be on the sides and they would love to pray with you as well. They're here to help and be a, be a partner with you. So our prayer partners are on the sides. They would love to do that. Whatever it is that you need to do, do that. And then when you're finished, I'd ask that you join in singing.
seated. Have you ever seen the movie City Slickers? All right. There's a, um, it's a group of men, 40s and 50s, who go out and they play cowboy from the city and they play cowboy and there's this old ranch hand. His name's Curly. And Curly gets a little frustrated as a man, a few words, but he says something like this to, to Mitch, who is played by Billy Crystal. He says, you guys come up here around the same time, around 50, you spend 50 weeks a year getting your, your ropes all in a knot and you think two weeks up here is gonna untie them for you. And he says, you know what your problem is? And Mitch, Billy Crystal says, what? He says, you need to know what the secret of life is. Secret of life, well, what is it? And Billy Crystal is, is excited, what is it? Tell me. And Curly says this, and he holds up one finger, do you remember? One finger. He says this, and Billy Crystal says, your finger? Curly says, no, it's one thing. What is it? 
curly responds. You find that out, and you'll be happy with it. One thing, it's God. Pursue Him, church. Pursue Him. One thing, one soul craving, one heart passion. Pursue Him. Pursue Him.